You are listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. This morning we're going to be talking about heaven. Everybody say heaven. <laughs> that was like three of you. Everybody say heaven. heaven. Okay, good. Um, and this specifically is talking about the resurrection. Has anyone ever thought like, what will heaven be like? What will our bodies be like? Raise your hand if you've thought that. And wonder that. Okay, me too. And so here in 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 35, Paul is saying, But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? Seems like a pretty good question, don't you think? Like, how are the, like this resurrection thing, what will our bodies look like? Uh, what will it feel like? And then Paul says, how foolish. Like, that's a dumb question. Like, there's no such thing as dumb questions, just dumb people asking questions. Have you ever heard of that before? Um, so it seems like Paul's being a little harsh here, but he's, he's going to give this beautiful analogy that's going to make a lot of sense about, like, what the resurrection will be like. So Paul says, how silly. Um, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And if you know anything about sowing seeds, planting seeds, this analogy will make a lot of sense. When you sow... You do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps a wheat or something else. But God gives a body that he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives his own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds have another. There are also heavenly bodies, there are also earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and star differs from star. So it will be at the resurrection. The body that is sown perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown in a natural body, it will be raised a spiritual body. And that's what the resurrection will be like, this metaphor of planting a seed. So this morning as we, as we um, go and we're going to consider heaven and what it is like and the resurrection... Let's pray. Let's, let's welcome God's spirit here. Let's recognize that he is already here. His presence is here. So Father, we thank you that you are a good, eternal God who gives us eternal life. And God, you didn't have to do that. You didn't have to promise us salvation. You didn't have to promise us eternal life, but you do. And we're amazed by that. God, we stand back and, and just take in your, your wonder, the, the beauty, the, the love that you have for us. And so Father, we worship you this morning. We praise your holy name. And everybody said, amen. So here is a picture of my kitchen right now. Um, this is my microwave. And on top of my microwave are a bunch of little plants, these little seed, little pot things that you can sow seeds in. And so I've always been interested, even as a kid, like my grandfather owned a greenhouse uh, way back in the day. And um, I think just growing things, my, my dad was a gardener when, he, uh, when I was a kid, and we always had a garden and this idea of planting a seed and then watching it grow is always, and still to this day, is kind of like, wow, it came up. Cool, look at that. Um, because when you plant a seed, it's like this dead little pebble. It's like dirt. It's like, oh, this is dead. And then you plant it, and just a few days later, if you water it, up comes some shoots. And so here's the shoots that are in my house right now, growing on top of the microwave next to a window. I got peas and squash and cucumbers and lettuce and all the uh, cantaloupe, all these different seeds coming up that'll hopefully get some fruit this, uh, I don't know, after the summer's over. 
And so in your Bibles, did anybody notice some seeds in there? Did anybody turn to the Bibles on the tables? You did? Good. And so in your Bible, right at 1 Corinthians 15, everyone get a Bible, open it up, and hopefully some seeds will fall out right at 1 Corinthians 15, or right at the passage we read. And look at the seed. Maybe you've never done this before. Maybe you've never seen a seed up close and you've never taken time to like stop and look at the seeds. But it looks dead, right? It's just this tiny little dead piece of dried up nothing. It's dead. It's, uh, you would think that. You're like, it's dead. And yet when you plant these, if, and, and I would encourage you to all plant them somewhere and then let me know what kind of seed it is in about a month or month and a half, you'll be able to tell me what kind of seed it is. Maybe somebody already knows what kind of seed it is just because they're familiar with botany or something. Um, <laughs> botany, the study of plants, right? Um, but consider the seed. Everybody look at the seed, pass it around. It's kind of like show and tell. It's just this dead thing, seemingly dead. It's dried up. It's shriveled. It's like a, I don't know, it's just a dead piece of dirt or, I mean, it's just a seed. It's like a pebble. And yet when you plant it, it, it grows and it's a whole new plant. And so Paul uses this analogy that when we die, we will be buried in the ground. We will be cremated. However, we choose to do our burials or our family chooses for us how to bury us. Like we will be placed in the ground and up from the ground, like what was dead, will have new life. And that's our great hope that we will be resurrected from the dead, like a seed that's planted, that's dead. It will come up and be this new, beautiful thing of life to its own. And so um, as we think about that, um, consider the resurrection. That's where we're kind of going this morning as we talk, as we conclude our series in eschatology this morning. So if you're new to the Mill Sunday School, welcome to the Mill Sunday School. Um, You don't have to be college age. There's lots of you that are in high school, and that's awesome. There's lots of you that are past your 20s, and that's awesome as well. Uh, The Mill Sunday School continues to be a place where learners come to learn. And I often joke that we are the nerds of new life, right? Amen? <laughs> Sweet. So if you are new, you can fill out a card. Uh, these cards are on the table. Fill it out with as much or as little information as you want. Bring it back to the table as you leave in the, in the lobby there. We'll give you a gift, a, a book that Brady Boyd wrote called Sons and Daughters, a little gift bag, more information about the church. And if you want to call or an email, check those boxes. I will email you and call you. We could have a chat about stuff we talked about this morning or anything you want, how to get more involved with the Mill or the Mill Sunday School or at New Life. Uh, that would be great. So that's that. We are in this big, long series of systematic theology. So we started back in September, and we've gone through this nine months of systematic theology. And pretty soon, you are all going to have a figurative systematic theology baby, because it takes nine months for a real baby. It took nine months for us to get through systematic theology. How fun will that be, right? Um, So we're finally wrapping up with eschatology, and we're actually going to continue this series into next month because we're going to talk about end times next week. Uh, Greg Hampton, he spoke at Sunday School before. He he will be here. He'll introduce this topic of end times. And today, we are going to finish up afterlife because eschatology is kind of two parts, the afterlife and the end times. So today, we finally get to talk about what happens when a Christian— Uh, someone who loves the Lord, someone who's been following the Lord, uh, someone who has been promised eternal life, someone whose name is written in the Lamb's book of life, um, all these analogies for salvation. What happens when a Christian dies? 
A couple weeks ago, we talked about how, well, there's probably an intermediate state, as, as some of us don't like to talk about. I think our Protestant, evangelical, American thoughts of the afterlife is as soon as you die, you go straight up to heaven or you go straight down to hell, depending on uh, some things of what you believed about Jesus. Or some Americans would say, oh, whatever, you know, if you were a good person or a bad person, when you die, your soul either floats up to heaven and you're with the clouds and harps and angels, or your, your soul floats down to hell, and you're with the devil and his pitchfork and demons, and he's poking you. Um, that's kind of just the American Protestant Christian overview of the afterlife. And this month, we've kind of broken that down and talked about, well, there's probably an intermediate state, and it's very good for those that are believers. And there might be some negative aspects and torture and this waiting uh, for, for people who are not amongst the people that loved God. But for us as Christians, um, what happens to us when we die? Well, there's, well, there's this waiting that we go through, and Jesus calls it paradise. Today you will be with me in paradise. Uh, other places it's called this rest, this sleep, this soul sleep. Um, it's this place that's prepared for us where we will wait the resurrection of the dead. So I have a discussion question for you to get thinking about this. Um, and the discussion question is just kind of, uh, just whatever comes to your mind, maybe. And it's, what questions do you have about heaven, this final, final state? We've already talked about the intermediate state, but let's consider this final, final state of, and let's just call it heaven for now. We'll break down that word in a minute. But what questions do we have about heaven? Like, I don't know, try to be more specific than, what will it be like? Well, I try to ask something more specific about heaven, if you can. So as a table, uh, if you have the notes in the notes, this question is there. Uh, have someone be a scribe and just write down some interesting questions that you have about heaven. And then in just a minute, I'll go around with a microphone. and I would love to hear a few of your responses. So ready, get set, discuss. All right, I'll interrupt your conversations only to have a bigger conversation with all of us. I have a microphone here. For anyone that wants to share uh, a question that they wrote down that, at their table, it's like, oh, this is an interesting question. Yes, Larry has something already. I'm sure it's good because he always has good stuff. Is there marriage in heaven? Is there marriage in heaven? That's a good question. And Jesus talks about that. He says that the resurrection will be like the angels, neither marrying or giving into marriage. And this idea of maybe in, in a way, figuratively or metaphorically, we'll be married to God and that we are often called the bride of Christ. So that's a very quick answer to a very good question that Jesus was also asked. What else? What about, what about people that are married now? What about people that are married now? Are they still technically married in heaven? Yeah, what I've done a lot of... Uh, <laughs> Are they, so Bo asked, uh, what about people that are married now? Are they still technically married in heaven? And I think, <laughs> I think the answer is, uh, like I've done, I've, I've done, I think Erica and I try to keep track of how many weddings I've done, probably somewhere around 25 uh, weddings I've married people or, and, as the pastor. And we always say, till death do you part. And this idea of, like this life, we're married in the afterlife, Maybe we'll be married to God. And in some ways, it's like, oh, we're not going to have our partner anymore. But God is, is probably a better partner than, than your spouse. Um, <laughs> anyways. I've yes. actually got two. Two um, questions. The first okay. one is, what will worship be like? What will worship be like? And the second one is, will our pets will be in heaven? Will the pets be in heaven? Yeah, remember this, at the beginning of this month, I told you the story about 
uh, the lady that came to Guest Central and her cat had just died. And she was like, she came to church. She never goes to church. She came to church just to ask if her cat will be in heaven. And her husband kept saying, doubt it, not going to happen. And she was like in tears. So anyways, that's a great question. Aaron, yeah. Um, how old will we be in heaven? Oh, that's a good question. So how old will we be? On earth, we, we age. And so in heaven, when we have new bodies, what age will we be? Is that even a relevant question, Tony Hill? What is heaven's physical location in relation to the universe we live in? What is heaven's physical location? Is it like a different dimension? Is it another dimension? Is it... Uh, that's a great question. I'm going to give the mic to Josh because he came all the way out of the tech booth just to ask this. Talks about heavenly bodies. What, uh, what am I going to look like in heaven? Yeah, like, what will you look like in heaven? Am I going to stay at age 30 looking or like when I'm going to, you know, 87 and I'm old and crinkled? Yeah, what kind of body? That's a great question. What kind of body will you have? What age will it be? Laszlo's got a good question, I bet you. Oh, you got a good question? Oh, it's the, the redirect. Oh, yeah, just how will relationships be in heaven? Like, will we be able to relate to each other, you know, yeah. all that kind of stuff? That's a great question. What will relationships be like? Will we be able to relate to each other? Will we even remember uh, our friends and family? Will we recognize them? This, this table has two questions. We'll end with Chelsea. Hey. Um, can we... Can we be or can we become guardian angels? Ooh. <laughs> Good question. So will we be like, if we're like the angels, what's that like? Will we be someone's guardian angel? Yeah, mine was similar. Mine was, will we have consciousness of earth and our time on earth? Okay, yeah. So when we die and the earth continues going on, let's say you die in a car crash on the way home, it'd be very unfortunate, but would you know what's going on in earth? Do people... You know, at funerals, sometimes people will say things like, oh, I know grandma's looking down on us right now. Um, and maybe that's true. I think the Bible doesn't have much to say, unfortunately, about a lot of these questions. What exactly will it be like? Um, I'm going to talk about biblical images of heaven in just a, just a minute and kind of break down the word heaven, which will hopefully bring some clarity to these images and ideas that we have about heaven um, but maybe no answers that are concrete. And we'll talk about metaphorical answers versus concrete answers in a second. But here is one image of heaven. Uh, choirs, singing, an angel singing. And um, often heaven gets a bad rap. And maybe it's for this kind of image that we have of heaven. There's like clouds and light and little angels with wings singing in a chorus for age after age after age. Does anybody like music? Yeah, we, there's a lot. So there's the idea of like, oh, we can listen to music. Um, <clears throat> anybody like the choir? Anybody in the choir? So there's this idea of like, oh, we'll be singing to God. And I think that's a metaphorical, a figurative um, idea of what heaven will be like. And some people really resonate with, oh, a choir and endless songs. Um, does anybody really not like the listening to music? <laughs> a couple of people. Um, like, I remember, maybe this is a bad example, but I remember in elementary school, we, asked, we used to have to go to these assemblies. And so we'd go to an assembly, we'd all sit there, and the elementary school band would start playing. And it just sounded horrible. It's like little kids, like, and, and just listening 
For, it was like, as a kid, it was probably like 30 minutes, but as a kid, it was like all day assembly of listening to this music um, and just having to say, I remember one time I like pulled out some flashcards uh, for some class. I think it was like, I, I took Latin and I was like going through my Latin uh, flashcards and a teacher came over and was like, no, no, nope, you can't study, no flashcards, you got to l- sit here and listen. And I was like, oh, and I put away the flashcards and I was just sitting there like, oh gosh, this is so boring. Me and my friend used to, uh, during assemblies, See who could say the phrase, boot crack, louder. Because <laughs> obviously it sounds like something else, so we'd be like, boot crack. <laughs> and then my friend would like, take it up a notch, boot crack. <laughs> and we'd just get louder and louder until <clears throat> one of us would get in trouble, and that person was a loser. Um, but this idea that heaven will be like that, like that, that sounds kind of boring. This is a famous picture that Raphael, uh, one of the Ninja Turtles, of course, painted. And um, this, I mean, look at their faces. That's the cover of the notes this morning. This angel that just, look, they look like they're bored to death. Um, this idea that uh, heaven will be boring is, is a fear that I think a lot of people have. Isaac Asimov, I think I pronounced the name right, uh, a famous atheist, a famous sci-fi writer, he wrote uh, I, Robot that came, became a movie and then Bicentennial Man that ended up being a movie. Um, but he, as an atheist and a, just a thinker of, of atheism, and he said that there was no such thing as the afterlife. But he said this, he, I quote, For whatever the tortures of hell, I think the boredom of heaven will be even worse. We have this idea that church, like, uh, excuse me, heaven will be like an unending church service. And I love church services. I love the worship. But after about an hour or two or even three, like I'm ready to go get lunch and talk and, and do something else. Um, and so an idea of an unending you know, choir, an unending worship, uh, at least like in music, just sound, it doesn't sound all that appealing to a lot of people like this guy, Isaac Asimov. Um, or this idea that even some of you ask, will we be able to remember Things that happened on earth, will, will we, what will relationships be like? Will we even remember each other? Uh, what will marriage be like? You know, are, if, are there marriages in heaven? Is our mind just re- erased? And I think some people have a legitimate fear of heaven. Like, oh, maybe they've heard things like, oh, your consciousness will just be part of God's consciousness. And you'll just be kind of one with God or something. And your mind will be erased. That doesn't sound very fun to me. That doesn't sound nice. That doesn't sound exciting to me. And I think some of that has to do with just our own culture's ideas of what heaven will be like, um, our own representations as Americans or as Protestants or as evangelicals. These, these, these ideas, or when we watch movies uh, and see images of heaven, and sometimes they're humorous, but, but those images stick with us. It's like, oh, heaven will just be in the clouds, and they'll be singing, and there'll be a harp for all eternity, and our mind will be erased. That doesn't sound very awesome. That doesn't sound very exciting to me. And so I'm going to say this, this phrase, that heaven is a bad word. Not in that it's a curse word, like, oh, my heavens. And it's like, oh, don't say that. That's a bad word. But heaven is a bad word um, because I think there's too much baggage. We kind of went through this with the word hell last week, and we talked about how hell is a bad word. Not necessarily a, a curse word, but a bad word because it's too much baggage surrounding theologically what, what it'll be like. Pop culture tells us what the afterlife will be like. I think there's no specific meaning of what heaven is or what it will be like. I think the Bible has these descriptions, and many of them are figurative, not concrete. 
They're metaphors. And we, we want to, of course, uh, ask questions, very good questions, like was asked, Tony Hill asked, well, where is heaven in relation? Is it another universe, another zone? Uh, is it another planet? Uh, how does that work? Um, great questions, but I, I don't know that the Bible specifically answers those. And so there's just these questions, unspecific. There's lots of Christian mythology um, in, in either pop culture mythology or Christian mythology about what heaven is. I think we have these images of the sky and clouds. It's like, oh, heaven is there. And we, we point up, you know, like, what's up, bro? You say heaven. And, and it's like, well, has anyone ever been on an airplane? God, many of you have. So we've flown in the heavens. And last time I was flying, I didn't see your grandma who has passed away up there. Um, <laughs> So this idea, like, we've gone beyond the sky. We've landed people on the moon and brought them safely back to Earth. We've put a Mars rover thing into Mars. That's awesome. That's amazing. And we've, we've gone into the heavens. And so some of these ancient ideas of the sky, and the sky being this mystical thing, like, oh, what's up there? Like, we kind of know. Like, I've been in a plane before. I've seen down on Earth. I've been to heaven, at least in that sense. And so there's this mythology of, Oh, heaven and the clouds. And maybe that's figurative. I would say, obviously, that's figurative because we've been, those of you that raised your hand, you've been on a plane. You've been to heaven, in in that sense, at least. Um, I think the word heaven is a bad word, finally, because it lacks etymology. This this word that, uh, etymology is a study of words and their meaning. If we just look at the word heaven, where it came from, we could trace it back to Old German and Old English, where it just means sky, That doesn't help us very much, at least in coming to understand and use this word. So instead of the word heaven, I'm going to use the word, or the two words, final place. And we'll talk about the final place. And I think that's that's a better, it's more specific than than the word heaven um, for lots of reasons, these four to be specific. Um, So heaven, um, we're not going to use anymore. Let's use the word final place, the two words. Biblical images of the final place. And so I'm going to list seven. There's quite a few images of this final place throughout the Bible, but I thought these seven are pretty rememberable, memorable in, in, the, in the context of the Bible. And, and, and trying to at least take a stab at what heaven will be like, the question I gave all of you. And I think these, all these images are metaphors. Uh, I, I have this quote on the back of your notes. If you got the notes today, there's a, a quote by N.T. Wright. I was watching a um, a documentary where he's talking about heaven and hell and the afterlife. And N.T. Wright is this awesome scholar um, that, that that I will often reference as someone who is. Um, I, I've heard it said about N.T. Wright that he's the new C.S. Lewis. And at first, when I first heard that, I was like, "No way! C.S. Lewis is C.S. Lewis, bro. You can't." can't Nobody could be C.S. Lewis, and, and of course, he's not C.S. Lewis, but he's like this, this new thinker, and he's living today. He's this writer. He's from England, like C.S. Lewis was, but he's writing on a level that's very scholarly, but he writes these books for the average person, um, like you and I, to understand. You don't have to be a scholar to read some of his books, like Surprised by Hope. You could read that in a, a couple days if you had the time. But he says this, and he Wright, the scholar, says this, and I, I love this quote, that all of our language about the future— like specifically afterlife future, is a set of signposts, like signs that say, oh, it's going to be like this. It's over here. It's this way. It's like this and not this. All these, all the, so let, me, let me start over. All our language about the future is a set of signposts pointing into a fog. And the signposts are true signposts, but they don't give us a photographic reproduction of what we will find when we get there. 
And so I'm going to give you seven. The first one is heaven will be like, or the, uh, excuse me, we're not using the word heaven. The final place will be like a feast. Luke 13, 29 says, uh, people will come from the east and from the west and from the north and the south, and they will, they will recline at the table of the kingdom of God. So heaven, excuse me, we're not using the word heaven. Final place <laughs> will be like reclining at a feast. Who doesn't like feasts? I mean, you got to love feasts, and especially in the context of an ancient third world country. It's like maybe the best thing you could imagine because people in, you know, in, in biblical times in the Middle East, you know, their prayer was for daily bread. It's like, my goodness, like if any of you in here don't have daily bread, well, there's a whole table of bread back there. Get some bags, fill it up, fill up your backpacks, bring it home. You'll have bread for the next week. And so that, that's like our idea of like an awesome feast. Well, in some ways we have awesome feasts every day. We, a lot of us, I think every single one of us in here are well-fed. And if you're not, there's homeless shelters and food banks for you to be well-fed. But the idea like in the, in the, the middle um, in the Middle East, in this ancient culture, there were people that starved to death. There would be famines that literally killed whole cities of people. And so maybe the best thing you could think about was a feast and having this awesome feast with God and being in this final place of having a feast. So that's image number one. Image number two, that, that, and these are in no particular order. Uh, in fact, these seven, there's other images throughout the Bible of what the final place will be like, but these stood out to me personally. Um, as Jesus says, he's going to prepare a place for us. John 14 says that um, Jesus is comforting his disciples in verse one and says, don't let your hearts be, be troubled. You believe in God, believe, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, why would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go there to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me so that you might be there where I am. You know the way to where the place I am going. <coughs> and then Thomas asked a decent question. Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And then this very famous verse, uh, John 14, 6 says, Jesus answered, I and the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know me, and you do know him, and you have seen him. So if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father, and he's going there to prepare a place, and you know the way. Which way? Well, he's the way to this place that he is preparing. And some people think, oh, this is the place he's preparing for us. This is maybe the intermediate state, and, and this place that we go to will be a place of waiting, and it'll be a pretty nice place since Jesus himself says he's preparing it for us. And then at the end, there will be this, this new creation, this new Jerusalem. So I mentioned this along our way to this final place. Um, and another idea is the new Jerusalem. In Revelation uh, chapter 21, it says that there's a, a city that descends upon the earth, the new Jerusalem. Revelation 21.10, And he carried me away in the spirit to the mountain, this great place, and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, or coming out of heaven from God. And it shone with all the glory of God. And its brilliance was like a precious jewel, like jasper. It's clear as crystal. It's like a pretty figurative image of a city coming down and like landing on earth. Like that's pretty hard to imagine. But this idea of like a prepared place, the city, a holy place, and then there's this idea, this phrase of a new heaven and a new earth. 
We see this in Revelation 21, the beginning part of it, when it says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and first earth had passed away. And it says there's no longer any sea. And if you know the Jewish context, the, the, the ancient context of the sea was like a destructive sea and a scary place to be. It's like there's no scariness. There's no destruction like the sea there. And it says, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is among people. and He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. So this idea going back to if someone asked about marriage in heaven and how many of you in here are waiting for, to find someone to get married. And that's a lot of hope and excitement. And, and God uses that image as a figurative metaphorical example of that's how awesome it will be when God comes to dwell with us. He says, like a bride fully dressed for her husband. And I imagine that many of you are waiting the day, then if you're a dude, waiting the day that you will be down at the front of a church waiting for your bride to come. And there'll be hope and excitement for the rest of your life. Hope and excitement for the wedding night. Hope and excitement for just being together and being with this person in a covenant. And that's exciting. So this idea of uh, boring, that heaven will be boring. Well, you know, if you ask a young man that's getting married to his bride and the bride is coming down the aisle, like, what are you feeling right now? Tell me, like, you know, your bride's coming. You're thinking about life together. You're thinking about tonight. You're thinking about, have all these thoughts. What are you feeling? Boring. It's like, no. Like, this is the most exciting thing that may ever happen to you. Um, and, and, and God uses that analogy to give to us, like excitement and awesome and glory and splendor and everything that goes with that. So that's the new heaven, the new earth. For the first earth and the first heaven had passed away. Um, what, a couple more. Uh, the next one is th- this image, the idea of the lion and the lamb. And of course, that's figurative because you can never imagine a, a lion with his sharp teeth, uh, his claws, Lying down with a lamb, but this is the image we get in Isaiah eleven six. They'll lie down with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the young goat. The calf and the lion will be fattened together. Um, the little child will lead them. So you don't imagine a little kid like with a lion and a leash. Like that's just, but in heaven, excuse me, in the final place, um, whatever that's like, there'll be such peace that transcends the whole of creation that somehow a kid will be able to, to lead a lion and the lion will be with a lamb and the wolf will be with the lamb. That does not happen on this earth. You don't put a lion and a lamb in the same cage together and, expect, and not expect one to have lunch. Um, but in this final place, there'll be such a peace, that tra- a new creation in such a way that this figurative example of a lion and a lamb or a wolf and a lamb They'll be little buddies that a kid will be with them, leading them. Uh, how, how different will that be? Um, the next one is no tears. This always stands out to me in Revelation 21.4. It says that God will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. For the old order of things has passed away. And he who is seated on the throne will say, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down for these words are true and trustworthy. And this idea, someone asked, uh, well, you know, will I see my animals in heaven? What will, you know, will, what will that be like? And this verse, I've, I've used this verse before to say, well, all things will be made new. All things. There's this famous quote of Martin Luther, the, the, the reformer, 
in the Protestant Reformation that says if he knew that the, the Christ was coming back and the world was going to end, what would he do? He says he would plant a tree. It's like, that's a really interesting, weird quote. Um, but he says, I'll plant a tree and then see that that tree will be made new and glorified in the heaven to come and the earth and the new heaven, the new earth to come, that somehow everything will be, me, will, will be remade and made new. Um, and that's pretty awesome. And this final idea that I'm going to spend the rest of the time talking about is resurrection. That is what we have to wait and to hope for, the resurrection of the dead. And that's this final place, this final idea uh, in the Bible, eschatologically thinking that Jesus will come back and the dead will be raised. And some people point back all the way to Ezekiel 37, where it's these dry bones. God tells Ezekiel, speak to the dry bones and let the flesh come back on these bones. Speak to the dry bones and let life come back into these, these dead, these dry bones. And it would just be beautiful and miraculous to see life come from something that was dead. And that's our hope, that Christ will raise us from the dead. So this idea of resurrection. There's this old story that goes back to um, the days of uh, like czars in Russia. And this little girl who is part of a royal family. Her whole family is killed and she was the Grand Duchess. And this, these got bad guys come in and kill the whole family, execute the whole family. And yet somehow, according to some legends or folklore, this little girl escapes and lives. And she's you know, living with the poor, these con men. She's dressed in rags. And yet she is the princess. And everyone thinks that she's dead. and Her body just wasn't found. And then one day when she's a little bit older, she comes back to the palace and someone recognizes her. And here she is. What was dead is now alive. What's in these rags and poor is now back to being a princess and being alive. And of course, if you know the story, her name is Anastasia, which in the Greek, anastasis means resurrection. So her very name and this whole story. And I think there's a lot of stories and folklore and fairy tales, this beautiful idea that people like to think of, that when something dies, it will be resurrected. When something is like dirty and old and poor and gross, and that somehow it will be made new and resurrected. So anastasis, that's this Greek word for resurrection. It's what we have to hope for. This idea that Jesus was raised from the dead. And we too might be raised from the dead. That's our hope. That's our great hope that like Jesus raised, was raised, we also will be raised. And the Bible writers write so much about how Jesus wasn't just a ghost who came and appeared. Jesus was raised from the dead with a new body. And the, the Bible writers, are, are the, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John, they all state again in different ways that, that Jesus wasn't just this ghost because like he came and appeared to us and we talked to him and he ate. And then even Thomas questioned it and asked Jesus, let me put my hands, my fingers in your nail holes and in your side. And this famous painting is of that. Like this look of amazement as Thomas gets to put his finger inside Jesus' side. Let me make sure you really are real. A pretty gross image. Um, But an image nonetheless that gives us this hope that, you know, when we die, we we won't just become ghosts that haunt people. And that's a pretty scary image. Like, oh, someone died and now they're they're. Ghost or their spirit is just on this earth haunting. No, our great hope is that we will be raised from the dead. 
and we'll be given new flesh. And the disciples recognized Jesus, but they didn't recognize Jesus. And you look at the stories of post-resurrection and the disciples are like, no one dares ask us who he is um, because they knew that it was Jesus. They'd spent all this time with him. This idea that, that we too will get a body that is raised from the dead and it'll be incorruptible, that it'll be flesh and glorified flesh. And what that will look like? Well, that's a silly question because like a, like a seed that is planted and it is already dead, will once, you know, when God speaks his word, when God comes back and Jesus renews everything, we will be raised from the dead like a dead seed that grows and is restored. I want to say a word about like escaping this earth before we uh, close for today. Because I think there's this idea that, um, that I kind of want to correct. This, this idea that, um, that we, when we die, just get to escape this earth. And that's kind of a cool thought that, oh, whatever pain, whatever misery was here, we get to escape it. Like we get, you know, like on a spaceship, we get to get on the spaceship when we die and go to a whole nother planet. And I think the Bible has, you know, has images like that, not the spaceship thing, but this idea that, that we will be released from this earth and the pain and the suffering and the crying, uh, the bad things that happen on this earth. But there's also, also this idea of being made new. That maybe when we die, this earth, when Jesus comes back and this hope that we have will be made new and we will be resurrected to this place. And maybe it won't, maybe we won't call it earth like it is now because it'll be remade and reformed. And what that might look like is just beyond our imaginations. And that's why we, we talked about biblical images of what that could look like. But this idea of being raised from the dead and maybe in some ways being on this earth. And whatever we do on this earth to make it better, we are then joining in with what God is doing. That we aren't just going to escape and say peace out to this earth forever and ever and ever. But when we do things that are good to each other, righteous, when we do things that are good to the earth, I think Christians sometimes are notorious for being like anti-environmentalism. And, and the idea maybe is that, oh, well, we're just going to escape this earth. You know, this earth is just trash heap. We're just going to escape it. It's like, no, throughout the Bible, this creation is good. It's God's creation. We are meant to be stewards of this creation. And when we join in with God in doing something for the earth or for each other in acts of righteousness, we are joining in with heaven meeting earth. This idea of the, the new heaven and the new earth will come together and God will descend like a bride coming back for his people. And, and, and this idea of being made new. So to conclude, before we end a little early this morning, um, the hope that we have is, is resurrection. I think again and again and again is not in the text of the New Testament, this idea that we just get to escape this earth, but instead this idea that we will die, we will rest, we'll be in paradise, a place prepared for us, but our ultimate hope will be resurrection, a new body, and what that looks like, I don't know for sure. Where exactly will we be? And what physical bodies will we be given? How will that, all that look? Well, I don't know. The, the example that we started off with was like a seed. We'll die and this dead seed that looks dead will be placed into the earth and then it'll come up. It'll be a time of hibernation, but then a time of resurrection when Christ returns. And that's the subject for next month. And so in some ways, we'll tie into another whole month of topic of Christ returning. And we will await resurrection. 
and the life to come. And so um, let's pray. Let's, as we close a little early, let's pray. Let's consider these thoughts of God coming back for us and raising our bodies from the dead. So, Father, we, we tell you that we are excited about that. Father, if anything today, we've, we've gotten this idea that heaven won't be boring, that this final, final place of our souls and where we will be in our bodies being made new is this place that you've prepared for us. So, Father, we, Holy Spirit, Jesus, we, we thank you for preparing a place for us. We thank you for eternal life that you've promised us. And we look forward to the day of resurrection when our bodies are made new and, and this beautiful peace and, and somehow made new flesh comes and, and we will be caught up with you. Father, we look forward to that. We are excited about that. We love you and we praise you this morning. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. You can find more information at www.themillonline.org.